2: everyone, and welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline, the place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your host, Erin Royer. Okay, so we have some great questions, as always, today. One about an extreme fear of doctor's offices, and another about some mealtime showdowns. Okay, not quite showdowns, but some definite mealtime power struggles. So I'm going to get right to these today. The first question is from Christina, who wrote, My daughter will be three years old in a few months. Ever since her previous well-child checkup last year, she has been terrified of any type of doctor's office. I tried to take her to some prenatal appointments, and it was very difficult. And my husband ended up just keeping her in the waiting room. I had to take her in this spring due to a lingering cough, and she was terrified, crying uncontrollably, holding her hands up over her head to hide her face, clinging on to me, etc., She cried the entire time and was barely able to be examined. At the end of the appointment, they gave her a goodie bag and she stopped crying, said thank you, and I'm going home now, and slowly calmed down as we walked back to the car. Since then, any mention of going to the doctor sends her into hysterics. When my son was born, my husband had a very difficult time getting her to come visit at the hospital. She was visibly upset and nervous, crying and pulling on my arm, telling me to get dressed and come home with her. She did briefly say hi to her new brother, but was more focused on getting out of there. She also came with me and my mother-in-law to a dentist appointment. She was very upset in the waiting room and ended up going for a walk outside to calm down. Other than the fact that she had her shots at her two-year appointment, I cannot think of an experience that would create such a reaction to any type of medical office. She has watched the Daniel Tiger episodes about doctors and talks about it, but if I start to give her a rundown of what will happen at the doctors when we go or that she will be going, she just shuts down crying. It's very distressing and also difficult since she will need to go again soon. Plus, she needs to have her dental checkup. What can we do to help ease this intense fear? She's is very imaginative. She narrates her day constantly and will tell stories all day long about different characters and what they're doing will be doing. She has adjusted relatively well to having a baby brother, but we have noticed an uptick in more independent and boundary-pushing behavior. She has a flair for the dramatic, including telling us in no uncertain terms if she doesn't like something we do, no, I don't like you singing that song, or no, that is not your spot, you sit there, which I have read is normal at this age, yet I wonder if she is exceptionally dramatic. Not sure if these traits have been feeding into the doctor issue. So if we were to have a coaching session around this, there's some questions that I would ask to get a better idea of what could be happening, just to get a better picture. Some of the things I would want to know and that I would ask would be, and I'm going to ask them here just so that you can think about them and they'll give you some idea about how prevalent the issue is and where to focus. So first, I would want to know if she is anxious in other situations or areas of life or is this just about going to the doctor? If it's just about going to the doctor, Then we would focus on desensitizing her to just that environment. So I'm going to guess that this is the most likely scenario based on the information you gave because you didn't really talk about anxiety in other situations, meaning anything outside of the normal separation anxiety or shyness with a new place or group of people that's common in this age range. But if she were exhibiting more extreme anxiety in other areas too, then this means that you would need a plan to work on her coping with life's uncertainties just in general. The good news is that her imagination and imaginative play does not have any bearing on this. And actually what research shows is that with the decrease in play among children today over kids in the past that it's actually leading to an increased anxiety, depression, and other mental health-related issues. So, the fact that she does really get into this play, deep into this play, has a deep imagination, actually will serve her very well. Just to cover a little bit of the latest research on this for anyone who's interested, because I found this really, really interesting because I strongly believe in play and talk a lot about play and the importance of play, which is why I talk about that in the preschools class, finding a preschool class about how important that play-based learning is. So since 1955, children's free play has been continually declining, at least partly because adults have exerted ever-increasing control over children's activities. This comes from Peter Gray, PhD, a professor of psychology at Boston College. He defines free play as a child who undertakes his or her own play that's self-directed and an end in itself rather than part of some organized activity. So this is that deep imaginative play, whether it's with blocks or creating games or doing some sort of role play, that type of open-ended play where there's no adult intervention or organization imposed upon the way that the play is created or done or carried out. So just also for parents who are curious about this, because I also was curious when I learned about this, is that he then wanted to know what's interfering with children's play. What they're finding is that the parents who really hover over or intrude on their children's play are a big part of this issue. And also that nowadays, because it's hard to find groups of children outdoors at all, if you do find them, they're likely doing some sort of sporting activity, following the directions of coaches, that type of thing. He cites a study which assessed the way six to eight-year-olds spent their time in 1981 and again in 1997. The research found that compared to 1981, children in 1997 spent less time in play and had less free time. They spent 18% more time at school, 145% more time doing schoolwork and 168% more time shopping with parents. So I know there's a little bit of a tangent, but I thought it was important and I I'm, want to go more into that in another point as well. And I will post that article also on the Facebook page. So anyone who's curious can take a look into that because I really find this fascinating and I do think this decline in play is a really big Problem. Also, I want to say just a quick word. I grew up in the 80s, so I was outside a lot, riding my bike all day long. I would leave the house at 8 a.m. on a weekend and not come home until my mom called my friend's house, called around to find out where I was, or, you know, called out around the block or knew I was supposed to be home at a certain time and I would come home for dinner. I'd be out all day and, you know, without being tethered to a parent or a phone, obviously, or anything else. Nowadays, we just don't do that. You know, my kids do try to get the kids out to play, but there aren't a lot of kids outside to play. They had some friends in the neighborhood. Um, Our neighborhood is kind of turned over. A couple friends have moved away or moved to another neighborhood over, and so they don't get out to play with their neighborhood friends nearly as much as they used to either. And kids just aren't outside like they used to be. You don't just go out and find the kid playing out in the street and go join them. It doesn't happen nearly as much. But but the point here is, obviously, we want to let our children play. Play, play, play. Uninterrupted, untethered, just play. No, I'm not advocating if you're not comfortable to let your kids go out all day long from sun up to sundown. I don't think I would be comfortable with that either. But to the degree that we can, to the degree that we feel comfortable, is giving our kids some more breath and breathing room to get out there and just do that type of play. So let's get back to the question at hand. The other question that I have for Christina is, have you tried talking with her about it at all? Have you asked her how she feels about going to the doctor? Now, when you ask these questions, you want to ask how she feels rather than putting words in her mouth or assuming feelings. Now, it's Pretty obvious, probably the way she's feeling. So you can say, It seems like you're afraid of going to the doctor. Can you tell me more about that? The only thing I would steer clear from is saying something like, Why are you afraid of going to the doctor? Because then you're putting something very definite on it and putting that onto her. So if you want to ask it more in a way of, It seems like you're afraid of going to the doctor, or Can you tell me about how you feel about going to the doctor? to make it a little more open ended to allow her to just share her feelings about it and why she feels that way and then you know what you have to work with. You want to see what she answers then address her actual concerns. Now it is very possible and highly likely that the shot was a bit traumatic and not what she was expecting and so now she's afraid of the unexpected pain at the doctor's office. You can work her through this. You can get her through this with some of the tips i'm going to share and, and you can get her through this. I have some tips that i'm going to share in just a minute. as far as the dentist, it does seem a lot like a doctor's office. But what I will say is an adult dentist and a children's dentist are really different children's dentists, and we have some in our town and in every town we've lived in since the well the two towns we've lived in since the kids were little. They're amazing these days, and how gentle they are, and how inviting the offices are. Like, these offices look like a playland most of the time. There's usually little riding toys like uh, for free, everything's free, there's like video games and there's, I had a dentist's office that had like one of those little, It was I think it was a crocodile, but like one of those little horses but instead of having to put the money in it, you just push the button and it like rocks back and forth, like all these fun things so that kids aren't so nervous about the dentist. So look around your town for one of those extremely fun, extremely inviting children's dentist office because that's gonna probably go a lot easier. They're also really good about talking about the steps of taking pictures, like now we're gonna take pictures. They don't necessarily smile, but you know they get the pictures taken. Now I'm going to count your teeth. So they're really, really good at being gentle with kids and slowly moving them through the process. But if she does seem like she's acting a bit nervous about it, you just wanna keep talking to her about it, what to expect, same with the doctor's visits. Now, I don't know if she'll get a shot at three. Do you? If you know this, you wanna prepare her. It's been so long. I can't remember the schedule for vaccines when my kids were little. I do remember that there was quite a break for several years, and I think after the initial schedule early on, they maybe had one more shot at four or five, and then nothing until age 11, because my son started to get afraid of the shots. Every time we're going to go, am I going to get a shot? Am I going to get a shot? And he hasn't gotten one for years. He's actually going to be getting one just turned 11, so we're going to have to talk about that in our family also. But hopefully there will be no shot this time at age three that'll give her a chance to recover, have another successful doctor visit without the shot. This will start to become easier. So here are some suggestions I have, and I know you've been doing a lot of this, but you wanna keep doing it, and I have some additional ones. You wanna talk about doctors and what they do that they make people feel better or they keep people from getting sick. You wanna talk about your visits to the doctor and take her if you can. I know you tried this and she had to wait in the waiting room, but even so, that's still an exposure to the doctor's office and an experience that goes well, that's pain-free for her. She gets to come in, she gets to leave. This gives her the exposure. So the more exposure, the better. You wanna point out the hospital if and when you drive by it. That's the hospital where doctors deliver new babies It also makes sick people feel better. Then you're gonna prepare her for her appointments. What will happen? Weight, height, blood pressure, maybe the ear and the, or the eye test that they start to do. If you know she's not getting a shot, you can let her know. If she is or you aren't sure, you can just say you aren't sure. So just say, I'm not sure if you're getting a shot this time, but if so, it'll be super quick and I'm gonna make sure that I keep you really busy so you barely notice. If she does need to get a shot, you want to do whatever you can to distract her during the shot. You can sing a song. You could be super duper silly over the top. You could pull out some weird, crazy toy that makes silly noises. Something that comes to mind is one that my kids found at the store over the holidays. It was a microphone that changes your voice into a robot. You push the buttons and it could be a robot. It could be a monster. It had a whole bunch of different sounds that were just kind of silly and fun. Pulling something like that out and talking to her while she's getting the shot, she probably won't even notice. You could also pull out your phone with a favorite video queued up and ready to go so she could watch that during the shot while the doctor is prepping and getting it done or the nurse usually does them. So you can distract her with that. So those are the steps for helping her get exposure and get beyond this fear of the doctor's office. parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home home threads love where you live the next question is from severa and severa is having a struggle at meal times and she wrote Hi Aaron, thank you for the great work on the podcast. It's really helped me deal with my 3-year-old when we've had difficulties relating to potty training and dealing with tantrums, aggressive behavior. My question is related to meal times. My son is able to feed himself. He does this proficiently whilst at daycare. His carers even comment on how good he is at mealtimes and how he eats well. However, it's a different story at home. He sits and eats and he mostly enjoys the food, but after a few minutes of self-feeding, he says he's tired and expects me to feed him. If I don't, he takes such a long time to eat, over half an hour, and sometimes doesn't even finish. The only time he will properly and promptly eat by himself is if I read him a book to distract him, but I don't want to do this at every mealtime. I'm finding myself dreading mealtimes because of the tedious Process, could you please help? So, this is one of these great questions because it gives us the opportunity to really delve into the motivation behind the behavior. So, from the description I'm getting, a strong feeling that this is attention seeking behavior. Now, it also could be for power, but I'm feeling attention seeking here. Um, Regardless of the reason, he's getting his needs met. It's fulfilling his intended purpose. If it's attention seeking, he's getting the attention. If it's for power, he's succeeding in getting you to do what he wants to do. So in either case, he will continue to use this tactic because it's working. He'll stop using it when it no longer works. So here's the interesting, frustrating, and aggravating thing about kids, and I think Every single parent out there is going to be able to relate to this because all of our kids do this, they all have this ability, and they've all done it at one point or another. They will find our weak spots. They will find the holes in the system or in us. They'll find our insecurities, our own holes in our psychology, and once they do, they will use it to their advantage. If they sense that their ploy at bedtime to get us to stay longer will work, if they find that guilt works. Now, young kids are not doing any of this on purpose. They're not laying a guilt trip on us on purpose. Like, I'm going to make mom feel bad so she stays here. It's not conscious. They simply want our attention. They want us to stay. They want us to feed them. Whatever it is, they will figure out what works and use it to their advantage. They're really quite brilliant little social scientists in this way. So, you think of the working mom who feels guilty that she isn't around more, or the mom who just had another baby and isn't as available as she once was, whatever the situation might be. And the toddler figures out that guilt can work to get what they want, that it can feel really strong. So, you give in. You stay with your toddler one evening, one night at bedtime, and then the next, and the next, and then. All of a sudden you realize you're in this bad habit and that it's not actually the healthiest dynamic or way or time or place to meet your child's needs because now you're exhausted. She's even starting to get you up in the middle of the night to come and get you and it's just going from bad to worse. You now know that it's better for all of you for your toddler to learn to fall asleep on her own. So this type of dynamic, this kind of of, sort of this habit can sneak in around all kinds of scenarios or daily routines. Some kids will use food or mealtimes as their time and place to get attention or power. Bedtimes and mealtimes are big ones. Bedtimes because parents are so tired and we're often more likely to give in, so this becomes a common area of struggle. And then meal times for parents who have particular ideas about nutrition or making sure their kids eat enough or enough of certain foods. And then you pair that with a stage where they go through, where they get pickier about foods. And this is an area ripe for power struggles and attention seeking. When a toddler hones in on that, they will use that to their full advantage. And so this is what your son has been able to do here. He's picked up the frustration factor that if he eats or doesn't eat or slows down or whatever, then he can get his needs met, that he can get you to feed him. And so he's begun to do that and using it to his advantage. So in the two classes on feeding and meal mealtimes for infants and toddlers and the other one for preschoolers and beyond, I set this general guideline around mealtimes. And that's this. Parents are in charge of what is offered. Kids are in charge of how much and what they eat from what is offered. So for example, when parents micromanage, this is one of the things I talk about in the class, just one of these tips. When parents micromanage, I have a lot of do's and don'ts, this is one of the don'ts. When you say things like eat two more bites of this and another bite of that, then you can get down. It can then easily set the stage for mealtimes to become an area for children to get their needs met with attention or power. When push comes to shove, we cannot force our kids to eat something and they figure that out pretty quickly. So the more we're able to let go and let it be their process, the more likely they are to explore new foods and not turn the process of mealtimes into a place to get power or attention. So here's what I suggest. Not to worry about the speed in which he eats. You wanna eat your dinner, Wait for him for maybe another five or 10 minutes. Have some conversation. Tell him about your day. Ask him about his day. Make it about bonding time. So this way he's getting attention. He's getting positive attention. You're taking the attention away from the meal time, the food, how he's eating, how much he's eating, when he's eating. You're hanging out with him for half an hour at the table for meal times, Up to half an hour, it's a nice amount of bonding time. But then it's okay to let him know that you're done. You're excusing yourself to go clean up, do some dishes, pack some lunches, whatever chores that you need to work on to be ready for tomorrow. Let him know he's welcome to stay and eat as long as he likes. Now, pretty quickly, he'll likely begin to eat more quickly, more normally, after a couple of evenings of this. The attention for eating slow or not eating enough is gone. The company at dinner is then gone after 25-30 minutes and soon he'll just eat and be done. He'll eat till he's full. If you're offering a balanced meal you won't be concerned about how much or of what he's eating. Now what nutrition experts really like to see in children's diets is a balance over days, not necessarily a perfect balance at each meal. So If snacks or breakfasts are healthy and heavy on fruits and veggies, and a child eats less fruits or veggies at dinner, then it's no big deal. It's going to balance out over a couple of days. One day they may eat a whole bunch of strawberries, and the next day they may not touch the broccoli at dinner. That's okay. There's a lot of tips in this class about presenting foods also and how to get kids to accept different foods, new foods, without making a big deal about them. So if you need more tips on mealtimes and how to help your kids develop a taste for healthy foods or the power struggles around mealtimes they're happening or the picky eating is limiting their nutrition too much, if there's only like a few foods they eat or you're seeing that it's really starting to get limited, you really want to see the class on feeding and mealtimes for infants and toddlers or healthy eating preschool and beyond for lots of tips on creating good habits and fixing the bad ones. Especially if you have an infant or a very young toddler and you're just getting into this, There's some really great stuff on there on circumventing these issues that tend to pop up and you're just ready and you know what to look for and you know how to circumvent those. So there's some really great tips starting early on with those very first days of eating to help your kids create positive relationships with nutrition and food. That's under the health and development section on the website, yourvillageonline.com. The other class that if you're not sure what the motivation is behind a behavior, including this mealtime behavior or other behavior, the class Misbehaviors and Solutions covers four main motivations behind behaviors and ways to work on getting those needs met in other ways so that they're not butting up against you at bedtimes or mealtimes or these other times of day. And then there's also three or four other more minor reasons that they might be seeking attention that also you want to check those off and make sure those aren't reasons for misbehaviors. So don't forget for a free seven-day trial to try any and all of the 50-plus classes, including the two healthy eating classes, the misbehaviors and solutions, and all the other positive discipline, development and health, education, modern parenting classes, you can go to yourvillageonline.com slash free dash trial. That's yourvillageonline.com slash free dash trial. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening